Have you ever had a moment in your life where your brain was telling you to do something, but you couldn't make your body do what your brain was telling you to do? I have this, <laughs> this moment that I will never forget when a buddy called me and said, hey, can you come pick me up tomorrow because I'm having wisdom teeth surgery and they say I need a ride home. I'm like, why do you say it like that? He's like, well, because I told them I'm going to drive myself home, but they said they're not going to release me unless somebody comes. And so I just need someone to come and then I'll drive my own car or I can drive your car, whatever. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to drive my own car and be prepared to drive just in case. He's like, whatever. So I show up at his wisdom teeth appointment and I'm doing what he's told me to do. I'm just waiting in the parking lot, idling in my car. And all of a sudden the door opens and a wheelchair emerges and I look at him, we make eye contact from the car to the door, and he, he gives the biggest eye roll I've ever seen. Like, oh, can you believe they stuck me in this wheelchair? I'm fine. That's what his eye roll said. And he gets closer to the car, and he's like, hey, I'm going to drive, I'm going to drive. And I'm like, oh, let's, oh hold on, hold on. And, and the woman who's attending to him says, well, hey, help, let me help you get out of the wheelchair. And he like rolls his eyes again, and I get up, and I try to help him get out, and we lift him out of this wheelchair, and as we let go to let him step into the car, he like collapses onto the ground. And we pick him up and he looks at us like, why are you trying to help me? I'm fine. I'm thinking like, you're not fine, man. You're about to die. And so we stick him in the car and I put his buckle on him and he's like drooling blood. <laughs> if you haven't gotten your wisdom teeth out before, this isn't normal. That, not, that doesn't normally happen. We drive to his house and the whole time he's talking about, I can't believe they made me get a ride home. I'm fine, right? I'm like, you're not fine. And we get there, and his, like, 90-pound wife comes out to help me get him out of the car. And we get him out of the car. He's like, I got this. I got this. And he leans, like, on the brick wall entryway to his house, and he's, like, scraping up the wall. <laughs> he's holding a bag of his own teeth in his hands, gauze in his mouth, and he's still talking about how it's crazy that he needs help because he's fine. He can do anything. He sits on his bed. We gave him the two Vicodin the doctor said to stick in his mouth. And he's like, I don't need this. He puts it on his nightstand, falls over, passes out. His two-year-old runs up, grabs the Vicodin, tosses it in his mouth. And then now me and this guy's wife are chasing this two-year-old around the house. We tackle this kid, scrape the Vicodin out of his mouth. And my buddy's like snoring in the other room. And he wakes up and he can't remember anything. So I'll ask again, have you ever had a moment when your brain was telling you you could do something that your body definitely could not do? That's kind of where we're going to start as we look at this series. The, the statement that I, I want to wrestle with today is this one. Sometimes it's hard to make our behavior line up with our beliefs. And I'm not, I'm not at all talking about wisdom teeth here. I, I'm talking about as Christians, as people who want to become more like Jesus, so often what we find is believing is easier than becoming. Like we want to be like him. We want to be transformed. We want to be gracious and humble and beautiful and all these things that God has called us to be. But when we try to put our brain into our footsteps and into our actions, we just consistently seem to fall short. I had an experience in seminary where we took a class on spiritual disciplines. And what we had to do was choose one of the classic spiritual disciplines and practice it for a few days. And, and we had to choose one we hadn't practiced before. And so I'm reading through the list, and I saw some that I'd done before, scripture reading and prayer and solitude and study and fasting. And then I came to this new one I never heard of. It said humility. And, and as a student, I'm like, well, that's an easy one. Like, I'll write a paper real quick on humility, right? I'm like super humble. I didn't think that. I should have thought that. 
after experiencing the next three days. And I'm imagining like two or three days of just being a really nice guy, right? Like we're going to get to a four-way stop and I'm going to be like, you know what? Go on. Go on ahead. I'm humble. Go on ahead. Right? The Chipotle line, no, you go first, right? Let me get that door for you, right? Just being the most humble person, it's not about me, right? This is not going to be hard. I'm just going to be a really nice guy like I normally am, right, for the next two or three days. And, and it wasn't like an hour into it that I started realizing for the first time that I might not be as humble as I thought that I was. I was in a conversation with somebody and And I found that as they were talking, I kept trying to steer the conversation back towards the things that I wanted to talk about. I thought, huh, I wonder if this is the opposite of humility. I found as I was talking to somebody else that day that I kept wanting to find an opportunity to share about an accolade that I had received and tell a story about when I did something good in my own life. And I thought, whoa, I didn't know that I was like this. I thought I was humble. And so I embarked on this journey of trying to become humble in three days. And I found what we're going to talk about today, that believing is easier than becoming. And the question that I want to ask as we look at this text this morning is, what's the secret? What's the secret of changing our behavior and becoming like Jesus? And to do that, I want to look at a text of scripture that's probably familiar to you. It's in the book of John chapter 14. You can turn there. You've probably memorized John 14, 6, which is when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you've memorized it, you've probably memorized it through the lens of eternal life, through heaven. Like we think about this verse all the time in terms of, okay, Jesus is the way to get to heaven after we die. And that is true. But at the same time, what we'll see as we look at this text is that Jesus is describing not just life eternal, But he's describing a way of living life on this planet as well. And so I want us to look at this text today. This is John 14. I will read verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Then he says this, you know the way to the place that I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. When I was in Boy Scouts as a kid, we did a stupid activity called follow the leader. You might be imagining they're like following the leader. It wasn't like that. It was like that with blindfolds on. That's exactly what it was. They decided that we needed to learn how to trust the other guys in our circle, and so they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play the classic game of follow the leader, except we're going to put blindfolds on the followers, and they're going to have to trust the voices of the leaders to figure out where to go. So at first, the leaders are saying, okay, hop on one foot. Like, I got this, right? Then the leader says, okay, now walk in a straight line, and we veer off. They say, no, 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 to the right, to the left, right? All this was preparing us for the magnum opus of stupidity when the leaders decided that they would have us walk a balance beam blindfolded, only following the voices of our friends, our peers, who are no smarter than us. 
And the balance beam that they chose is still there today. It, it's at First Press Church in Castro Valley behind Trader Joe's. You should go and look at it this week because you'll, you'll just imagine the carnage that I'm about to describe. There's the church, and then there's a street that goes behind Trader Joe's. Then there's the curb. That was our balance beam. Then there's a three-foot drop. Then there's dirt. Then there's the back wall of Trader Joe's. And so we don't know this. We're all blindfolded. And our leader's like, all right, we're going to walk the plank, right? Literally. And so we, we get on this little balance beam thing. And like, all right, now what? One foot in front of the other. And immediately, guys started just falling off of this thing and sliding into the ditch, right? There's carnage. They're crying, right? 14-year-old boys, bloody faces, right? I pull off my blindfold before I get on the thing. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. No way, no way, no way. I'm not doing this. I'm not following the leader because I have no idea how to walk a plank blindfolded. Now, I, I kept thinking about this image of all these guys at the bottom of the pit this week when I was reading this passage because I have to believe that following Jesus a lot of times felt like following a leader's voice when you're blindfolded and have no idea what's going on. But Jesus gives these guys an elaborate view of what's going to happen with their lives, and then he makes this bold claim in verse 4. He says, you know the way to the place that I'm going. Right? If Jesus was just saying, you know the way to heaven, that would be crazy enough. But he's not just talking about heaven, right? We, we read on in this passage. He's talking about eternal life. He says, I'm going to go to the heavens. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then I'm going to come back. Then I'm going to give you the spirit. Then you're going to have intimacy with the Father. Then you're going to do great things in this world in my name, right? And then he says, you know the way to get there, right? If we were to paraphrase verse 4, here's how I would paraphrase it. You know the way to the future God has planned for you. Now, the truth is that as God looks at your life, he has a, a vision for a future that involves several things, including intimacy with himself, including walking by the Spirit of God, including doing amazing things in this planet, even greater than what Jesus did when he walked the planet, including conforming into the image of Jesus, including becoming like Jesus so that in your old age or several years from now, people will look at you and catch a glimpse of Jesus because of just how Christ-like you have become as you've walked your life on this planet. And Jesus says with all of this, and you know how to get there. Do you know how to get there? And some of us have been trying our whole lives to get there. We have no idea how to get there. Now, it's one thing to, to have a vision of how to look like Jesus, but it's another thing to truly become like Jesus. And so when Jesus says, you know the way to the place that I prepared for you, Thomas says, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How could we possibly know the way, right? Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus' answer to Thomas is that famous verse that many of us have memorized in verse 6 when he says, no, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is not, again, merely talking about eternal life. He's not just saying I'm eternal life or I am the way to the truth of eternal life. He says three things. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Yes, I am life and life eternal. Life is in the Son. Yes, I am the truth. If you want to see the embodiment of who God is, look at me. But he also says, I'm the way. You're looking for a pathway towards maturity. You're looking for a pathway towards becoming like Jesus. You're looking for a pathway to heaven. I'm that 
pathway. I am the way and the truth and the life. If you want to connect with the Father on this earth or for eternity, you have to come through me. That's Jesus' answer to Thomas, who wants to know how to get to the vision that Jesus has laid out for them. If you're taking notes today, you can write down this statement that is going to sound profound but be confusing. The secret to becoming like Jesus is found in Jesus himself. And that's really what Jesus is saying, isn't it? You want to become like me? I'm how to become like me. You want your life to be transformed? I'm how your life will be transformed. You want to become a better person? I am how you're going to become a better person. You want to become more compassionate, gracious, merciful, inclusive, bold, rested, humble. You want to become like any of that? I'm the secret. It's me. Come to me for that. The reason this sounds profound is because it sounds kind of complicated. The reason it doesn't make any sense is because most of us know this in our heads, but many of us don't know how to activate this. Because all, all we know is becoming like Jesus by trying real hard to get like Jesus. Right? If you want to become more humble, do like me. Try to spend three days becoming more humble. But it doesn't work. Right? You want to become more compassionate? Right? You go do something nice for someone. They're like, whoa, I've never seen you be nice before. You're like, yeah, I'm trying to be more compassionate. Right? That's not going to work. You're going to be a jerk again by Thursday. Right? We, you can't work real hard and become a better person. You can't work real hard and experience transformation. You can't work real hard and get to the vision God has for your life. Yes, it takes work, but you can't, by work alone, get to the vision that Jesus has for you, which is a vision of someone who is being conformed into the image of himself. The secret of becoming like Jesus is found in Jesus himself. And when I did that humility exercise, a few days in, I kind of got to this desperation moment <laughs> because I was starting to get kind of prideful about how humble I had been becoming. And I knew that was probably a red flag of some sort. Right? I'm thinking, man, it's been a couple days, and anytime I've wanted to brag, I haven't bragged. Anytime I've wanted to kind of dominate a conversation, I haven't. Anytime I've tried to steer something to make me look good, I haven't done it. I've let so many people in front of me in line. I never even got my burrito, right? I'm so humble now. And I knew even as I was thinking this, if I'm excited about being humble, I'm probably not humble yet. And then this thought hit me, and it's probably from the Lord. And the thought was, Danny, you haven't even scratched the surface on becoming humble. You've just learned how to stop acting so prideful all the time. I realize there's a difference between acting not prideful and being truly humble. Right? The image that came to my mind was that I had a disease or something. It was called pride. And it's almost like this disease is taking over my body and it's causing me to have all of these like sores or I'm coughing or I'm sneezing, right? And so one day I took a bunch of Dayquil and all of a sudden I wasn't coughing, I wasn't sneezing, all the sores kind of dried up, right? And I want to be like, I'm cured, right? No more cough. But that's not true because the disease is still here. Right? I've been working for three days to try to eliminate all the symptoms, but the root was still deep embedded in my life. So I had done no real work on becoming humble. I had just kind of learned how to pretend <laughs> to be humble for a couple of days. 
know what the Bible word is that Jesus uses to talk about people who pretend to be holy when they're not really becoming holy? Do you know it? It's hypocrite. And that's what people call Christians all the time. Because I think a lot of times the only tool we have in our toolbox is pretending to be like Jesus and hoping that it sticks. Right? We imitate Jesus. We try to copy Jesus. We wear the WWJD bracelets and try to just act like Jesus would act. And yet the problem with all of that is it doesn't change anything on the inside of us. Right? We can get really good at acting like Christians, but deep inside we're just like Jesus says, whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. This transformation, like Jesus says, comes from the inside through his work. You can't work yourself to become a better Christian. You can't white-knuckle it into increasing your character. Becoming like Jesus is a work of Jesus himself. I've been thinking a lot about this John 14, 6 verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I said, hey, this applies more to just heaven. But I want to, let's put it up on the screen again. I want to think about this verse in terms of the mechanics of how it works in terms of how we get to heaven, right? Because we know this verse as it relates to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way to heaven. You don't get to heaven except through me. I'm the truth you believe to get to heaven. I am the eternal life that you need. Get it from me, right? So if we were looking at this verse and asking, well, how do you get to heaven then? And we took a logical interpretation. We said, well, he's the way to heaven. Let's just follow him, right? Jesus lived a perfect life, so let's live a perfect life, right? And then Jesus died, so we got to die. And then he rose from the dead, so then we have to rise from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven, so we ascended to heaven, just like that, right? He's the way. Let's follow him, right? All right, guys, let's live a perfect life. Then let's die. Then let's raise ourselves from the dead. Then let's ascend. And now we follow Jesus into heaven like the Pied Piper, right? He's the leader. We're following the leader. But we know that's not how it works, is it? We don't get to heaven by imitating Jesus and imitating the mechanics of how he got there. We know that the way that we get to heaven is by clinging to Jesus, by trusting in Jesus, by asserting faith in Jesus, by grabbing onto Jesus for dear life. And we trust that if we believe in Jesus, yes, what happened to him will happen to us. That we will grow increasingly holy as we live our lives. That we will die. That he will raise us from the dead. That we will ascend into heaven. But all of that is not how we get there. It's the byproduct of our faith in him. Does that make sense? So what Jesus is saying in this verse as it relates to heaven is cling to me and the same thing that happened to me will happen to you as a result of your faith in me. Abide in me and the fruit of heaven will be what you will be eating, right? That's how it's going to work. So if this verse is talking not just about heaven but all of the Christian life, then the same thing about all of the Christian life is true of this verse. You don't get to become like Jesus by trying real hard to become like Jesus. You don't become humble by pretending to be humble until it sticks. You don't fake it until you make it. If you want to be humble, if you want to be inclusive, you want to be compassionate, you want to be bold, you want to be rested, you want all these things that Jesus was, here's how you get it. You cling to him, and all of the things that he was starts growing into your life as a byproduct of the faith that you've exerted in Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Abide in me, he says in the next chapter, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And many of us have been trying to become like Jesus apart from Jesus, and we've amounted to nothing for our efforts. And Jesus claims that if we cling to him, becoming like him is a byproduct of the faith that we exert 
in Jesus. And if you want to write this down, you can write this down. If you trust in Jesus, you will begin to become like Jesus. Now, that's kind of the main assertion that we will use to start, to launch this series, that if you trust in Jesus, you will begin to become like Jesus. I know you're thinking, well, how do you do that? Right? We're going to talk about that over the next seven weeks as we talk through how to become like Jesus in each of these areas. So for today, here's all I want you to remember. It's three, that's two, it's three words, three words. Are you ready? Here they are. Number one, belief. Number two, creates. Number three, behavior. Belief creates behavior. What I mean by that is if you want to become humble, Behavior doesn't create behavior. Humility, trying to be humble, doesn't create humility in your life. Instead, somehow trusting in Christ and growing in your faith, your belief, is what's going to create the behavior of humility as a result. So we're going to look at each of these topics these next several weeks and talk about how we can believe differently to result in different behavior. Right, next week, we're going to talk about rest, for example. Right, some of you are lacking rest. You're exhausted and you've tried everything. You try to sleep more, right? You try to take sleeping pills. You try to go on vacation, but you're still exhausted. You can't figure it out. And you've been trying to change your behavior to get this rest that Jesus promises. And yet when we look at the life of Jesus, he was going, 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 going all the time. And yet somehow he came across as this rested, centered individual who was able to sleep even in the midst of the chaos of life. And so there's something about the way that Jesus lived that's different than the way that we live. And I believe, what we'll talk about next week, is that if we can believe differently, restfulness will start to emerge from our lives. That our belief can actually create the behavior. And to put it another way, if you truly believed what we say we believe, right? If you believe that God exists, if you truly deeply, with all of your fiber of your being, if you believe that the gospel is true, if you believe that there is a heaven awaiting for those who trust in Christ, if you believed in hell and you were terrified of the results of that, if you believe that the people around you need to hear the gospel and that they'll be saved as a result, if you truly believed all of that, you would be telling everyone in the world about Jesus because it's so simple to share this message that results in their everlasting life. But we don't tell people about Jesus all the time, do we? And there's a chance that the reason that we're not sharing Christ all the time is not because we're not trying hard enough, but there's something that's broken that's kind of foibling in our belief system where we have doubts that, that kind of crack into our lives and they affect our behavior. Now, if you struggle with worry, you worry, worry, worry all the time. Say, hey, don't worry anymore, right? Jesus says, do not worry. Like, okay, got it, check, done, right? No, it doesn't work. You can't just stop worrying. But if you're worrying, there's a chance that there's something that you're believing that's causing you to worry that's wrong or there's something you're not believing that's true that's causing your worry, right? Because if you believed, that God was absolutely in control, if you believed that God had your best in mind, if you trusted with all your heart in his sovereign plan, if you knew that everything works out according to his will, and if you truly deeply believed that, you wouldn't worry because you knew that God had everything in control. And so the fact that you worry is not because you're not trying hard enough not to worry. The fact that you worry is related to something around this whole belief system where something that you're believing or not believing it's trickling into the way that your life, your behaviors are coming out in the way that you live. So this next seven weeks, we're going to talk about a bunch of really important areas in our lives that we need to become more like Jesus, but we're going to look at it through this lens. 
We're going to talk about with things like, with the things like humility, with things like restfulness, with things like boldness, with things like inclusivity, with things like compassion, all these things that Jesus was and is. We're going to ask, what are the things that we believe that cause us not to be like Jesus in this area? And what are some of the things that we need to start believing if we're going to grow into the likeness of Christ in this area? And we're going to see as Christ transforms us as we cling to him and trust more deeply in him. And the bad news is that it's not going to affect your wisdom teeth surgery. Right? We walk through this series, we're not going to get to this mind over matter portion where you just can believe hard enough and you'll be able to walk on water. You believe hard enough you can get up out of a wheelchair and walk. Right? That's not where we're going. But we are going to get to a place that, that as we trust in Christ, as you, as you truly submit your life to him and you give these different areas over to him, your life might change so that when you come out of your wisdom teeth surgery, you're not rolling your eyes and embarrassed because someone has to see you in a position where you're stuck in a wheelchair, but you'll have confidence there because something in your heart has changed and you don't need to fake it till you make it anymore. Now, that's why I love that we use the thumbprint for the graphic for the series. Because really what we're talking about is how do we grow into the image of Christ, right? How does Christ's thumbprint start kind of intersecting with every aspect of our lives? And if you want to be a clone of Jesus, like grow into his image, you can't fake it, right? Something has to change in you that transforms you into the image of Jesus. And so what we're going to do as we walk through this series is let's talk about how to do that, how to give more of our lives over to him in several areas and trust that as we cling to him, Fruit will grow as a result. So I want to pray for us as we close out today. We're going to sing and respond in worship, and then we'll get out of here. Let me pray for us.